This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Thursday, November 9th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the movies of the Farrelly Brothers. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editors Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. All right, so we're excited about this. As we mentioned, the show is back to five days a week and one of the... Uh, I guess, slots that we want to try to experiment with in this new format that we're returning to is the idea of like uh, getting into a debate or a list or an editor conversation that's similar to the the types of conversations that we have near the end of the year or the beginning of, uh, of the following year about like the 50 greatest movie moments and things of that sort. So um, this is going to be a smaller version of that. And we publish features on Slash Film all the time, uh, little rankings and lists and things like that. And this is going to be a conversation about one of those uh, pieces that is going to be actually going up this weekend. So Slash Film, list, Slash Film Daily listeners will get a sneak peek at uh, the methodology and the, um, the all of the decision making that goes into creating a list like this. So, uh, Jacob, I want to hand the reins over to you and let you lead this conversation. Yeah, Ben said it pretty well, but the whole idea is that we want to give folks a peek into how does sausage gets made on slash film, how the editors sit around and figure out the ranking for things or figure out what should or should not be on a list or discussions that we have here. And sometimes you'll hear them, you know, uh, hopefully you'll hear them, you know, in the process of being made sometimes like we do with our end of year coverage and our moments lists that we do every year. It's not like this one, the list is already made. It's scheduled. It, it will be going live. And I want to give uh, listeners a peek into the process. Like, you know, how does a list get made? You know, why is the ranking where it is? Were there any debates? Were there any arguments? And in this case, we did a, a little mini list. Uh, you know, we've been doing a lot more of these in Slash Room recently. They're really fun. We, um, this one was the five best Fairly Brothers movies. Peter and Bobby Fairly, the um, two of the most... No, looking for an adjective here. Two of the most 90s filmmakers. Two of the most 90s comedy filmmakers. Brad, would you think most comedy, most 90s is a good way to describe these two? Yeah, absolutely. Like that was 100% their their heyday and kind of in the same way that 
like Judd Apatow and Adam McKay and Seth Rogen and Will Ferrell defined comedy in the uh, 2000s into the 2010s. The Fairley Brothers definitely defined comedy in the 90s to, uh, to the, the late 90s. BJ, how would you sum up the Fairley Brothers yourself? I mean, I've always seen them as being this hard collision of gross out and sentiment, uh, sort of like not always coexisting effectively, but oftentimes more effectively than you think. But I'm wondering if you have a better way to sum them up. Oh, it's absurdity meets affection uh, because these characters are characters that you care about so deeply, but they operate under like Looney Tunes logic half the time. <laughs> and on top of so, that, I think uh, one of the, the things to also point out that is a pretty consistent trait of Fairly Brothers movies is not only does it have the raunchy comedy with the heart, but there is typically also some level of intrigue or like mystery that ends up popping up and adds a little bit of a twist, which was something that was not very common in comedies like this. Uh, ben, you weren't part of the making of this list. So I'm kind of curious if, if somebody who is not involved, uh, are you a fan or, or, or are you somebody who can be described as a fan of the Failure Brothers and their work? Uh, not really. I like a few of their movies, but I would not say that I'm a completist by any means. And um, yeah, I've, I've sort of watched their careers from afar. I've, I've seen a few here and there, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go along the way. But um, there are several blind spots that I have in their filmography. And there's just something, I don't know, they, they struck me. I think I, I grew up in a time where like my comedy sensibilities did not align with theirs at the time when they were at the peak of their powers. So I kind of just like skipped out on a lot of their stuff and have revisited it later. Like I, I remember all of my friends and, and even like people above me in age talking about there's something about Mary at the time. And I just like was not interested in that, but I, I obviously caught up with that one later. Cause that's like a, a touchstone of nineties uh, comedy cinema or whatever. But, um, but yeah, there are several that we'll talk about as, as we go on here, but I would not call myself like a huge fan of theirs. All right. So this was actually a pretty easy list to make. Some slash them lists require multiple rounds of voting and debate. This one, I can't remember if it was BJ or Brad proposed a list of five films and we immediately said, oh yeah, that's a list. We don't need to change the order. Was that Brad or BJ who did that? I said that it was my, like you posted a list and I was like, that's exactly my ranking. <laughs> uh. So this is going to be interesting. Before we get to the final list, though, let's talk about what didn't make the list and why it didn't. Because uh, they, first of all, I, we, we did disqualify any movie that was not directed by Peter and Bobby, who are no longer directing together. They now direct separately. Um, so uh, that Peter. that disqualifies, Jacob, that disqualifies movies like Green Book, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, and Champions, um, just in case yes. people are keeping track at home. Uh, Academy Award winning Best Picture, Green Book. <sighs> yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> What did it? What do we? What a year two thousand eighteen was. Green, Green Book is easily a bottom five best picture winner, right? Jeez, oh, it might be the worst best picture winner if you ask me, but I'd have to look at a list. <laughs> yeah, but it's the one that comes to mind first. And then uh, four years later, the greatest beer run ever. I think it was dumped on Apple TV Plus, maybe. And nope, Zac Efron and Russell Crowe uh, in this Vietnam War comedy that nobody saw. Yeah, I mean, what what is Brad? Did you even see that movie? I did, you know, and and it's not terrible, but like it stumbles in kind of a similar way to to Green Book, where it kind of provides like a surface level like look at Vietnam. Like it doesn't provide anything that any other war movie about Vietnam has done before. It just does it through like 
the lens of this unique and somewhat comedic uh, true story that happened. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's just, you know, it, it's, it's kind of surface level, you know, stuff when it comes to approaching Vietnam as like a, a cinematic topic. I will say that as Peter has gone off trying to make these Oscar-y movies, uh, Bobby's solo film Champions from earlier this year, it feels like in terms of its concept, very classically um, fairly in that it's, a concept that seems deeply offensive when looked at from afar, but seems be seems but seems to be crafted with affection. At least that's the impression I got from the reviews. Yeah, did anyone here actually see Champions? I I skipped it. Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. Actually, same. Yeah, I think it's no secret that these two uh, probably worked better together. In fact, the, the next movie that they're making they actually are reuniting uh, for a movie called Dear Santa, which has one of the greatest log lines of any film i've seen in a minute which is about a young boy who uh, accidentally sends all of his uh, christmas lists to say uh, to satan instead of santa claus and <laughs> and jack black is starring in it i don't know if it's, if it's satan or santa i hope it's both and i, I that sounds really promising <laughs> to me I'm, I'm, I'm excited about dear santa okay yeah i'm i'm kind of on board with that <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the movies that did make the list that the brothers did together. Um, I'll start with one that actually I kind of appreciate in that I think it's ambitious, but largely forgotten and rightfully so. And that's Osmosis Jones, the half band made a half live action comedy about buddy cops inside Bill Murray's body in animation trying to like stop an evil virus while Bill Murray does gross out gags in live action. It's such a big swing and a miss, but, but what a swing, right? I think there's a great animated movie fighting inside of a lackluster live action movie with that one. Yeah, it's a we- it's definitely a weird installment, especially because like around this time, it's not as if like, you know, the hy- hybrid animation live action thing was suddenly like popular again. So it, it was a weird thing for them to do it, which was basically kind of like around the height of like, you know, they can do the, the whatever movie they want to. And maybe that's how it got made to begin with, because I feel like otherwise there's no way that anyone would have wanted to do this. Yeah, it's such an odd thing. I remember at the time just being kind of baffled by it. And but I, I, I admire that it exists these days. But we only had a room on our, on our top five for one formerly uh, ambitious movie. And I, I'm going to make the argument for that one. <laughs> uh, so I think that's why Osmosis Jones didn't make it. Because I think there, there are four movies on this list I think we all legitimately liked in the sort of the wild card slot. And I think that Osmosis Jones just wasn't going to make the wild card slot, right? Definitely. Yeah. Moving up to filmography, the next one that didn't make our list was uh, another film from 2001, uh, Shallow Howl. Uh, Jack Black, um, right before he like breaks big with uh, School of Rock, uh, this is a movie where it's him and Gwyneth Paltrow, and he's hypnotized and seeing people's inner beauty instead of their outer beauty. It falls in love with a, with a heavy woman, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, as uh, fluctuating between her, herself and her wearing a fat suit. And this is probably the height of the Fairley Brothers trying to make something honest and lovely and maybe just missing because I don't think that I think Shallow How means well, but never manages to connect in a way that's not it doesn't make me a little crazy. Brad and BJ, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Shallow How in the year 2023? I should probably go last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you, Jacob. It, it feels like it has its heart in the right place, but it still like really comes up short on how to like examine how we perceive beauty and like how it approaches, uh, you know, people who are considered what you would say, quote unquote, overweight, fat and whatnot. And so like it really misses the mark. 
in that regard. There, there is like some genuine, you know, affection in there, and they do try, but it's it's definitely um, a misstep. Before that, BJ uh, say, what, I think I think we have a classic <laughs> BJ Colangelo rant coming up. Ben, do you have any, any takes on Shallow Hal before that, BJ go? I mean, this is a movie that I saw at the time and have almost no memory of. The one thing I remember from this is uh, Jason Alexander has a tail. I think. Yeah, he does. Yes, he yes, does. He does. So, that was just such a bizarre image that uh, it lodged its way into my brain. I wish I didn't remember that about Cello Hal. I think um, that's, aside from the, the weight stuff, that's one of the bigger issues with the movie is how it kind of regards, like, it, it still pokes fun at people who, that people might perceive as, like, being ugly because they have, you know, different traits and things like that. And that's where, where like, the mean spirit still comes through, even though it's trying to be nice. Mm. All right, BJ, okay. go for it. Yeah, BJ, uh, <laughs> you, you've been unleashed. All right, and I will I will lead with a compliment. I think that Jack Black is doing some genuinely wonderful work in this movie. The scenes of him in the hospital where he doesn't realize that he's in a burn unit and is being so wonderful with sick children is like some of my favorite work he's ever done because he's so genuine. And it's like one of those moments where you watch him and you're like, that, that guy's a star. Like he's so wonderful in it. Um, but yeah, this movie irks me on absolutely every possible level because as a fat woman who is pretty pretty comfortable with the way that I look. Uh, there is nothing that makes me more angry than when I say that I'm fat as a neutral term and somebody tells me, no, you're not. You're like so pretty though. I didn't say I was ugly. I said I was <laughs> fat. I can be fat and hot at the same time. And that is something that is completely alien in this movie. And I will never forgive them for trying to convince the world that Bonnie Aarons is not hot as hell because she plays one of the ugly women in this movie. And that infuriates me. <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie is, it's a problem. It's a problem. I, it's a problem. I, gen <laughs> I genuinely think that the people who made this movie truly had their hearts in the right place. But as BJ pointed out, that that, that, would, that would have required some conversations that I don't think occurred. Definitely. Like, and I, I do agree. I think the heart was in the right place. I think like having a message of beauty being in the eye of the beholder is great. I, I also think like, that's why the show love is blind is so bogus because nobody on that show is not conventionally attractive. So you're defeating the entire purpose of what you're trying to do with the show. And uh, yeah, you can be fat and also still be sexy and worthy of love and attractive and, I'm not going to put my business out there on the internet. I have literally never had a problem with this in my life and I have always been fat. So they should have <laughs> talked to fat people like fat women specifically. All right. Well, I think we should move on to stuck on you. Their next film. Speaking of movies that are built around physicality in ways that would never get made in 2023. It's a film about uh, conjoined twins, Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear. I remember watching this uh, when it came out and being surprised by what a gentle movie it is, how it's probably one of their least like outrageous films, despite a premise that should have been offensive from the start, which is, you know, ha ha conjoined twins. And in retrospect, uh, it just kind of sits in the back of my brain as being just a pretty mediocre, forgettable movie that doesn't have the nerve to even try to be offensive. Am I misremembering this one? No, that's, that's kind of how I remember it. Yeah, honestly, because like there are some pretty decent laughs that come from the chemistry between Greg Kinnear and Matt Damon, which was a surprisingly great pairing uh, at the time. But yeah, otherwise, it's I think that's the biggest problem is you know it's it's just mostly kind of forgettable and never, didn't really have anything that like stood out as like uh, oh yeah that was really funny. 
Yeah, I don't think we need to linger on stuck in you, but I know BJ is thinking about Fever Pitch, the 2005 uh, baseball comedy. So, okay, here's my thing about Fever Pitch is I think the movie is just a kind of -of run-of-the-mill rom-com for me. It's nothing to write home about. But every time people rank Fairly Brothers movies, they always include this one. And I know it's because in the back of my head, they don't want to front load the list with all of like the, the slapstick weirdo comedies. And they want to be like, well, don't forget. They also did this very touching story with Drew Barrymore and it was like very cute and it's all about the Red Sox and it's just such a forgettable movie. Like you don't need to check that box of like, they did something different though this time. Yeah. Uh, I This movie came and went in such, first of all, I think that Jimmy Fallon is the worst. Um, the guy can't carry a movie to save his life. It is a charisma that. vacuum performance. Ugh. Thankfully Drew Barrymore is there to, you know, help, ease the load right now uh ben do you have any opinion to a fever pitch i've never ago? seen this one actually um which is kind of surprising considering I, I watch a ton of sports movies but uh yeah this one i just i i think probably the fallon of it all just <laughs> just repelled me to, to such a degree that i just never bothered checking this out speaking of movies that repelled me the heartbreak kid i think the only film on this list i strip have not seen strips this is a ben stiller film movie from 2007 nobody liked it it didn't make any money. Brad, do you remember Heartbreak Kid? Did you see Heartbreak Kid? I saw it back like when it came out, but I honestly like couldn't tell you like really anything memorable uh, about it. So yeah, I, I'm completely out of the loop on this one, but I definitely remember it not being good. I mean, this was a, a remake of an Elaine May movie from the early 70s that starred Charles Grodin and Sybil Shepherd, And I remember there being a big outcry, like an uproar in the critical community when the Farrelly brothers decided to tackle a remake of this and people just being like, these are not the right filmmakers to tell this story. Um, I never actually saw the movie, so I can't comment on the quality, but um, there's a little bit of context for you. But I did see 2011's Hall Pass, um, which is just essentially this extremely 80s retrograde throwback comedy where Owen Wilson and Jane Sudeikis played two two louts who are given permission by their wives to have sex with other women for a week and will they be able to do it? Um, I just remember this being <laughs> watched this and going this feels like it was it should have been made in 1983 this feels really out of place in 2011 in terms of like the basic premise but also the jokes I, I mean is there a funny movie in here BJ or is this always destined to feel retrograde? It's always going to feel retrograde because it's feelings about sex are so kind of archaic compared to where we are now where like whenever I (laughs) I think about hall pass I'm like just be polyamorous like it's not that weird anymore it's fine just like work through your jealousy issues and do what you want who cares you're an adult you can do whatever you want (laughs) all right the last film did not make our top five uh dumb and dumber two um brad this movie's a tragedy, right? It really is, you know, because uh, like you have such such wonderful magic in the original Dumb and Dumber, and the prospect of getting Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels back together to try and do it again seems enticing on the surface. But too much time had passed since the first one. Uh, it was it was uh, twenty years basically, and just Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels had aged too much to really make it feel like it was a nice seamless transition between the two and. Unfortunately, the comedy of the Fairley Brothers hasn't aged particularly well as far as their their humor sensibilities. And so, like, it's basically them still trying to do the same juvenile shit they did 20 years ago. And it just doesn't play anymore, especially, you know, when you we already had such a huge influx of the, like I said, the the Apatow and McKay and Will Ferrell and Seth Rogen movies. And just, just comedy had kind of changed and, like, it just didn't work as well anymore. 
All right. Well, I know this is Ben's job. Ben, is this a good spot for a break before we dive into the top five? A perfect spot for a break, Jacob. Thank you. We will be right back and we'll actually get into the top five right after this. All right, Jacob, let's get into it. How did you guys formulate the top five? Let's, uh, I guess, kick things off with number five. Yeah, top five was the one where I think Brad was supposed to, a BJ and I argued for it. And this is a film that I'm not going to sit here and say that this is a great movie. But I'm going to say it's formally interesting. And I'm going to say that it's made with genuine affection, love, and care by genuine fans of the material. That's 2012's The Three Stooges, uh, a update slash remake slash whatever you want to call it of the classic comedy shorts from the 1930s. Uh, it stars Sean Hayes, Will Sasso, and Chris Diamantopoulos uh, as the Three Stooges. And those three are not phoning in. And this is not a case where they just cast some guys and said, yep, just hit each other. These are guys who are really tapping into the personalities, quirks, and physicality of those original actors. There's a genuine sense of whoa, what am I watching when you watch these three on screen together? It's genuinely unreal. And the film itself is shaggy. It's essentially three shorts strung together. But it's by design. It really is a, a incredibly faithful recreation of the pacing and comedy and tone of those shorts. And I can't say I love this movie, but I did say that when I interviewed Chris Diamantopoulos a few months ago, uh, we talked about the film, he like got stars in his eyes. He felt like this movie was like a religious experience, like something that he, as a fan of, that old school, borderline vaudeville style of comedy, it was a last gasp for him to try to tap into something that no longer exists. And as a recreation of an artifact, a movie made for about six people, The Three Stooges is super interesting. And I know Brad disagrees, so I'll let BJ go first. (laughs) Um, I feel about The Three Stooges movie the same way that I feel about the live-action Rocky and Bullwinkle movie, which is that the only crime it ever committed is that it is faithful to its source material to a fault, which doesn't translate to current audiences. That's not what they want. They want you to take the familiar and make it subversive. And that's not what this movie is doing. This movie is taking faithful recreations and just dropping it into our worlds. And part of the charm is that it feels so disjointed and that it doesn't feel like it fits in. But the the three leads are so dedicated to their craft that it is, it's masterful to watch. Um, the same way that I hail somebody like Johnny Knoxville of like resurrecting, you know, the ghost of Buster Keaton with some of the stuff he does. I really feel that way when I watch this movie. Is it perfect? No, of course not. Is there plenty of stuff I would fix? Absolutely. But as a as a film itself, as an attempt to recapture the magic of the Three Stooges, it does exactly what it set out to do. All right, Brad, you, you oppose this one being on the list. So this is your chance to explain that it wasn't your fault that made the top five. I'd like to clarify too, though, but like, honestly, like, I don't even know like what other movie I would like replace Three Stooges with though, because I think the Farrelly brothers made four very good comedies and the rest of their movies are just whatever. And Three Stooges is definitely among them. And BJ, you had to go and mention another movie that I hate uh, in, the, in the similar fashion, <laughs> because here's the thing. I, I grew up loving the Three Stooges. I, I watched so many shorts on UPN Power 50 all the time at my grandparents' house because they didn't have cable. And I would laugh my ass off. And I love Rockin' Bullwinkle when I was a kid, too. I would watch it with my dad uh, and we would we would quote it all the time. And so I, I love both of those things. And for me, it's the fact that they try to replicate it so perfectly and it doesn't translate well into the modern era I, I i didn't want them to do anything subversive with it or anything fresh just don't touch it at all because what we have already is perfect i, I will concede that in the case of three stooges um sean hayes and uh, will sasso and chris damantopoulos are 
fantastic in doing impressions of the of the, of the performances for uh, Larry and Curly and Mo. They are stellar in doing that. But for me, I just don't want to see like that recreated in modern day with them. I when I could just as easily watch any of the classic shorts and be infinitely more entertained. I promise this is not me being a dick. I'm legitimately curious about, about a philosophical place. Uh, what separates the recasting of Three Stooges versus like the recasting of like Kirk and Spock for a Star Trek remake or or a new show? I mean, honestly, I think for me, when it comes to Star Trek, like J.J. Abrams, you know, he didn't try to completely remake exactly what Star Trek the original series was in the same way that Three Stooges and Rocky and Bullwinkle tried. And I think a, a big part of it is the it's so hard to translate retro comedy into modern comedy and have it work just as well. And so I think it's, it's this weird juxtaposition of contemporary filmmaking sensibilities with classic comedy structure that just didn't land for me. And I don't feel that, that same, you know, problem, you know, disconnect when it comes to Star Trek, because there's such an updated sci-fi style that Abrams brought to Star Trek, you know, or even, or even any of the, the modern Star Trek shows, and I feel like that it, it doesn't create as as big of a gap between the two as some, as it does with comedy. Counterpoint, oh. the oh. Brady Bunch movie. <laughs> but the Brady Bunch movie is is like that. It borders on parody, you know, because like it's it's that it's, is very it's, it's done lovingly, but it but it still feels like a spoof. Oh God, I love that movie. I do too. I just wanted an excuse to talk about it. Brad's one of our resident Brady Bunch fans. Like, I know you actually actively like the original show. I, I really do. I grew up watching it all the time with my mom, and so I know way too much about the Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's jump into a movie that I know Brad likes. Uh, number four on our list: Me, Myself, and Irene. Brad, take the lead in this one. Huzzah! Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, there's no denying just the power of Jim Carrey as a, a comedic force, and Me, Myself, and Irene really just lets him cut loose. Um, granted, the the premise of me, myself, and Irene has has not aged necessarily as well because of how it approaches uh, what they refer to as schizophrenia, even though it's a disassociative identity disorder is what it's, what it's now called today by the medical community. Um, but the way he portrays having split personalities that are so drastically different and diametrically opposed to each other is just a, it's a, uh, an amazing course in just comedic performances because Watching him transform from Charlie into Hank uh, in just in a, a, a seamless move is just unbelievably mesmerizing, especially when you get to the point in the movie when Hank and Charlie are fighting with each other and Jim Carrey gets into a physical fight with himself. Uh, this movie is just it, it is full on the Jim Carrey show. And like without him, the movie doesn't work nearly as well uh and it's because of that it is it's it's super funny it has the the irreverent humor you come to expect from the fairly brothers it takes some strange twists and turns it has a wild ensemble cast that includes chris cooper and richard jenkins um so yeah me, me myself and irene this it's a it's a favorite for me I, I like this one a lot ben are you a me myself and irene fan yeah this is one that i've never seen actually so what? uh even though i I know. I just I I loved Jim Carrey in that period, but um, there are a few there that I like. I, I never saw the Majestic either. I know that's like totally on the other end of the the spectrum in terms of that being more of a drama than a comedy. But like there are there are some Jim Carrey movies that I uh, still need to go back and and fill in, and this is definitely one of them. BJ, are you a are you like us in that you're also a person in their thirties who grew up watching Jim Carrey and probably are maybe a little too apologetic toward this era of him being unleashed. 
Oh, 100%. Um, I love this era of Jim Carrey. I love I love character work comedy so very much, and it feels like it's a dying art, which makes me itch a little bit. I rewatched Good Burger the other day, and I remember being so convinced that Josh Server was going to be like the biggest comedian in the world because he was like Jim Carrey Jr., and obviously that did not happen because we decided Jim Carrey's the only person who gets to be Jim Carrey, and I wish we would have fostered more Jim Carreys because... I would watch a hundred movies of we people did, just acting like this. We did let Sean William Scott get away for, with it for a little bit. <laughs> okay, that's true. But he also has like this like kind of stoner bro-y vibe to it. That's so true. it feels like there's like, he's like this way because he's, you know, not sober. But Jim Carrey's like, he's this way because he's unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, BJ, you take the lead on number three. I think probably... Um, for my money, this was one of the, I was a smidge too young when it, when this first hit theaters. So for years, I grew up with this being in the back of my brain as the grossest movie ever made, uh, which it's not. And that's it's there's something about Mary. Uh, what is this movie if not the grossest movie ever made? I love this movie so i i know i've talked about this on the show before i was not denied anything as a child in terms of what i was allowed to watch so i watched this movie before i was 10 years old which is way too young (laughs) to have seen this movie uh but movies like this and like the billy madisons of the world this sort of humor like lives in my bones and i'm like this is the height of comedy like people are getting testicles stuck in their zippers how much could you imagine um these (laughs) Like sorts of gross out humor comedies are very formative to things that I find funny now. But as an adult in rewatching it, it's so much funnier than I remember it being because one, I think Cameron Diaz is like one of our most underrated, uh, like unappreciated comedic performers. She's remarkable in this movie and she's surrounded by a bunch of losers, like a bunch of loser men who don't deserve her, who are just falling over themselves, trying to be with her and ending up in the wackiest, like comedy of errors style farcical messes that are all different shades of gross um i'm not a hundred percent sure but i am like pretty positive that this is the movie that then forced the conversation of my parents of explaining to me what like ejaculate is because i didn't know (laughs) and that joke didn't land with me but it killed with everyone else in the room and i was like someone explain please and then it's like oh okay i got it so you know sex education from the fairly brothers great great things happening here um but i think that it's just it's so funny and gross in a movie that can never exist ever again. Um, Lin (laughs) Shay is doing such incredible character work because everyone sleeps on Lin Shay as also a comedic genius. Matt Dillon being a total scumbag. I think this is what started my love affair of seeing Ben Stiller as somebody other than the villain in Heavyweights because that was also formative for me. Um, I love this movie and I got to hold my multiple truths with it. Has it aged well? No. Is it in good taste? No. But I don't want it to be in good taste it loses its charm if it's in good taste uh ben how do you feel about this one this is one i'm sure you've seen yeah i have and um and yeah i, I agree with bj i kind of feel like more than any other genre comedy is like and brad you could probably speak to this better than i can but just like comedy is, is almost has a responsibility to document the moment that we're in in terms of like how far uh society allows the boundaries to be pushed and so therefore even more so than a great drama of whatever period a comedy is like almost, I almost expect it to not hold up um, just because 
culture changes so fast and has changed so fast that like it, it would be bizarre if there's something about Mary was still, um, you know, if every joke was like a particularly appropriate under a 2023 lens, it just it wouldn't really make any, any sense. So um, I'm not bothered as much. I, I know, you know, some people, uh, you know, cringe and, and things like that when you, when you go back to these movies uh, and look at something from a different time period. But I just feel like that's kind of like part of it, you know? So um, I don't know, Brad, if you have any like broader thoughts on how comedy ages compared to other genres. But. No, I, th- and I think that that's an important thing to remember is like, be- because there has been such mo- uh, a larger focus in comedy on like, not offending certain people and not saying the right thing. And there's a lot of complaints about what people call cancel culture and stuff like that. You have to remember that like comedy is, is a place where like you, you can and should, and uh, will will always push the envelope and do things that are meant to be irreverent and, and, and inappropriate. But like, you also have to remember that there's a way to do it, to make it like land comedically. Like don't be offensive or shocking just for the sake of being offensive and shocking. Like it, you know, it, it actually needs to, to resonate comedically, you know, like it's the same reason that like you can't just get up on a stand up stage and start swearing and saying the, you know, the most off color things imaginable. Like you have to have some finesse and like the way you do it is important. And at the time in the nineties, the Fairley brothers knew how to do things that like, were a little more raunchy than people expected. And it made people like laugh because it was something they hadn't expected to see references. Like, like the idea of seeing, you know, a little, you know, flap of jizz on Ben Stiller's ear is just like ridiculous. And you never would have expected that to see in a movie. And so like people were, you know, were keeling over in seats and laughing so much because of it. And it's stuff like that, that like my, my parents didn't want me to see it immediately. And I had to like sneak it behind their back in order to see it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's the comedies like, like this, especially if you're going for R rated comedy, they should be pushing the envelope. And like the Fairly brothers did that great with there's something about Mary. Do any of you miss the feeling of getting away with movie? Like knowing that mom's gone to bed, I can go watch this now or watching movie with your thumb, like literally hovering on a stop button to make sure like if you hear anything, anybody coming down the hallway, you gotta hit stop. I mean, there are days <laughs> where, I, where I missed that tension. Now I can watch wherever the hell I want. <laughs> yeah. I wrote about this when I was doing our coverage for the 25th anniversary of South Park, but there is a VHS tape somewhere in my parents' attic, I guess, um, from when my dad told me to record the South Park like New Year's Eve special, but I was at my grandma's house and she was not cool with me watching it. So every once in a while on the recording, the channel like back button ends over and then I'm watching Kablam. And you know, that has, you know, the voice of baby Noah Segan. <laughs> uh, Brad, you want to lead our number two on our list, which is Kingpin? Sure. Uh, Kingpin is a fantastic sports comedy that has all the hallmarks that you would want from uh, a sports movie, but mixes it with the the raunch and inappropriate comedy of the Farrelly brothers. Uh, you have a, a stellar performance by Woody Harrelson, who just uh, looks like a total scumbag. Um, he's got just got a terrible comb over. He's got uh, a hook for a hand. And he's trying to convince Randy Quaid, uh, who is an, an Amish man, to come with him and become a bowling champion. And the the buddy dynamic that comes between Woody Harrelson and, and Randy Quaid is just wonderful because you have Randy Quaid slowly being corrupted by Woody Harrelson's uh, chauvinistic and just really scummy ways. 
Um, you have Bill Murray in uh, a great villain performance where he's just an absolute douchebag. Um, so yeah, there's there's so much to to love about this movie. Um, and it and it like like you know the best Fairly Brother movies that we're talking about. It does have a, a good heart to it too. You know, like Woody Harrelson's character does have uh, an arc where he kind of you know redeems himself and you know climbs out of being the loser that he became. Um, so yeah, there's there's I I love Kingpin so much. Uh, does anybody else agree with me that Kingpin's kind of forgotten? I mean, it's I feel like of all the Fairly Brothers movies, like Dumb and Dumber is still referenced him, but Mary is a cultural touchstone. Uh, but I feel like Kingpin is kind of the one that kind of slides between the, slides between the lines. It doesn't get discussed at all, but it's easily like one of the better films they made. Uh, BJ and Ben, do you have thoughts on this? I think it definitely gets slept on um when it shouldn't i do think there's a little bit of like weird confusion people have with the big lebowski since there's bowling in both of them because i've heard people be like oh yeah that's the movie with like the bowling vikings and i'm like no that's the other movie um so i think maybe that's a little bit of it and also I, does anyone else just miss when like randy quaid was like an acceptable form of crazy because i miss those <laughs> days um so maybe that's also why people just like don't want to go back and <laughs> remember that time period because he's gone so far off the deep end yeah i actually never saw kingpin but the fact that it's so high on this list makes me feel like i should add it you know to the top of my uh my watch list I mean, look, a, a comedy being made today that had this cast would have, I think, the same people who have slept in this movie kind of talking. I mean, Bill Murray, Woody Harrelson, Randy Quaid, Lynn Shay, Chris Elliott. It's just a list of people we all like watching or, in the case of Randy Quaid, are worried about. Um, so it's just, <laughs> I don't know, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's very 90s, but it's a movie I do quite like. But I, I do think number one was kind of, inevitable it had to be dumb and dumber i mean it's a film that their first film it kind of defined their career going forward i think we measure dumb comedies against dumb and dumber and i remember when i was a kid this wasn't just a funny movie this was the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life when i was a kid um there was nothing funnier nothing edgier nothing that felt a little something that felt weirdly dangerous and it's so weird because dumb and dumber is so so pg-13 compared to comedies being released these days uh and it's darkest jokes have nothing on dark comedies i've seen since then but i think because dumb and dumber walks that line between stupid and dark and earnest and offensive at all times that it manages to do this impossible act i don't think any other fairly brother movies managed to capture sense of managing to have its cake and eat it too in every single possible way it is I know. I still think about the, the most annoying sound in the world scene of all time. Like, <laughs> it's in my brain. It, the, the noise they make is in my brain. It never leaves. It may be one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. I'll, I'll YouTube that scene every so often, just to remember how to feel again. <laughs> Does anybody else? I, also acknowledging that this movie is, it's a '90s movie. It hasn't aged well. It's of its time. Will the next generation appreciate it like we do? Probably not. But I also think it's a masterpiece of 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 of, of, of replicating exactly what a certain generation found funny. Who else agrees with me on this? Well, I think that honestly, I think this movie actually ages better than any of the Fairly Brothers movies because there there honestly isn't a lot in it that is like offensive because of the time in which that it was created. It really is just like a straight up screwball comedy of two idiots who have no idea what's going on around them and like they accidentally get in, stuck in this intrigue plot and they're just the two dopiest best friends 
uh, that are on this road trip and just saying dumb stuff without having being completely oblivious to, to, to anything that's actually going on. And so, yeah, I mean, it's endlessly quotable. And the the chemistry between Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels is astounding. Like this, this is the kind of like buddy level comedy that like all comedy should be aspiring to when you have a, a two hander like this. And you wouldn't expect it from Jeff Daniels, but man, he matches and goes toe to toe with Jim Carrey, which which is tough to do. But Jeff Daniels is so delightfully stupid in this movie. Uh, Jim Carrey is doing what what he does best, and yeah, I, I have just I've always loved this movie so much. This along with um, Ace Ventura, which hasn't aged very well, and Liar Liar are two of like are the three Jim Carrey movies that like I can quote endlessly, and I was constantly you know saying saying lines and doing impressions of Jim Carrey from this uh, from these movies. I, yeah, I, the, I have such vivid memories of, the, of them selling the the dead parrot to the blind kid, and feeling <laughs> my my deeply Catholic ass was so upset, and I was I found it funny. Like I was I, I feel like I had to go to church after watching it. That, that's a so, so times have changed. Sorry, talk over you, BJ. I said make sure. I no, get you're that out. fine. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. Like I said earlier, this is a movie that lives in my bones. I still quote it. Like it's one of those movies where lines from it have just become incorporated in my vernacular. I realized this yesterday, but I was walking around the house thinking about like you know all of the things in life that are terrible, and it's like there's war, there's this, there's this. Our pets' heads are falling off, and like it just comes out of my body without even thinking about it, and there's. <laughs> (laughs) so many lines that are like this but i think the reason that this is the best one is because the stupidity is so sincere i don't believe that these are people doing a shtick and like winking at the camera i believe these characters are that stupid and because of that there it never feels mean-spirited even when they're being mean to each other it feels like harmless pranks like it feels like oh we're just doing this for the funnies and not realizing you know how bad it's gonna be to give somebody that many laxatives like how bad it's gonna be to switch somebody's pills out like it it's got such a harmless vibe to it that even the stuff that has aged horrendously i know that like there was good heart behind it so then i can just kind of like wave my hand away a little bit yeah, there's an innocence to it. There's like a, a naivete to the whole thing. And I think what Brad said earlier stands especially true for this movie where like, you know, there's there's an actual narrative here. There's like a real story. The story, the bones of this thing are good. And then the comedy on top of it is almost like a bonus because the story and the, the mystery and the intrigue and all of that is actually like interesting on its own, even removing all of the comedy aspects from it. So um, I think that helps it have a little bit more of a timeless feel than some of the other stuff they've directed. BJ, I, I am curious, what what are the things that you think that haven't aged as well in it? Do you think it's just overall, overall comedy stuff or is there anything, is there something that I'm forgetting? Um, I mean, there's like a little bit of <laughs> racism in the depiction of the martial arts scene um, where he Oh, that's true. Yeah, out, yeah. That, which yeah. is great, which, yeah, that's, you know, not super great. Um, some of, like, some random things, like the little bit of the gay panic with Seabass, but that kind of stuff, like, again, it's the 90s. I expect this. And I think that comedy, like we said earlier, does kind of have a responsibility to be honest to the time period. And so to act like these were not jokes people were making in their day to day life, that's just ahistorical. Mm-hmm. Well, that's our list. That's our that's our top five Fairly Bros movies, which will be published on slashroom.com a few days after this episode uh, drops. And if you enjoyed this, you know, let us know. We, we're really hoping to do more episodes like this where we give you a behind the scenes look at how we make our lists, how we make our uh, features, you know, and you know, 
bigger, longer lists may get featured in the future. We're working on a major project right now that's going to hopefully, you know, turn a lot of heads. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll hand the mic back to Ben and let him close this out because it's his damn show. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay, so that's going to do it for today's show. You can find more about a lot of the things that we mentioned, all these Fairly Brothers movies, probably over the years in the archives of SlashFilm.com. I will link to a couple stories in the show notes if you want to check out some specific things there. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.